0: Hey there, welcome to The tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, today's blog version of this uh, was called Perpetual Darkness. And okay, that's admittedly a dark-sounding title, but it's perfectly appropriate for what we're going to talk about today. How to get and keep your water as tinted as possible, or at least what materials would do the best jobs in terms of color production. Now, we as a group of fish geeks in the botanical method aquarium world are kind of obsessed with this stuff. And yeah, it's a really good question. How does this happen? Now, first off, let's all remember that the color of the water has absolutely no relationship to its pH or its carbonate hardness. It just doesn't. You can have water that looks super dark brown, yet has a pH of you know 8.5 or whatever. And conversely, it's just as possible to have crystal clear blue-white water that's soft and has a pH of 4.5. We have to get beyond the social media-style black water definition, which seems to be if the water is tinted, it's a black water aquarium. Now, look, if you just want the nice color but could care less about the pH and the hardness, that's fine. But for the benefit of a hobby as a whole, I ask you and I ask you to tell your friends who may be doing this, please don't perpetuate that confusing narrative that you know that goes around about blackwater aquariums by simply telling other people that you have black water you have a tinted aquarium an aquarium with tint in the water and that's just fine so yeah i'm not going to want you to a long drawn out description today about you know how ecologists define black water and what specific chemical characteristics make it up we've covered that enough over the years you can deep dive here or elsewhere to get that information it's all over the place you just have to dig okay micro rant is over let's get back to the topic Remember, this piece is not about how to make black water. It's a little more superficial than that, believe it or not. It's about creating an aquarium with color and maintaining that color. Now, first off, one of the keys to getting your color, that lovely brown that we all want, is to select the right types and quantities of botanical materials to assist. Now, I'll be the very first to raise my hand and call BS on anyone who wants to claim, you know, to have a perfect recipe for how many catapoles per liter or whatever you have to use to achieve a specific color. Sure. You could come up with some generic recommendations, but they're not always applicable to every tank or every situation. Yeah, there's simply so many variables in the equation, many of which we probably haven't even considered yet that it would be simply guessing. Just like nature to some extent, really there's a lot of variables. What I can do is recommend some materials which we found over the years to generally impart the most reliable and significant color to the water. Now, in no particular order, I'll give you my thought on a few of my personal faves. These, Of course, there's tons more, but these are some that, I don't know, consistently seem to show up on my list of, of favorites here. So let's get started. Now, the first one is maybe a surprise to some of you, and some of you it's absolutely not a surprise. It's wood. Now, yeah, you heard me. One of my very best, or one of the very best sources of print of tint-producing tannins in aquariums is wood. I've told you many times, uh, and we all know this, wood imparts tannins, lignins, and all sorts of other stuff from the exterior surfaces and all those nooks and crannies that we love so much right into the water. Ah, the tannins though. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm always a little bit amused, and I've talked about this before, and it's not that hard actually to amuse me, but I'm always amused by those frantic posts on aquarium forums from hobbyists that their water's turning brown after adding a piece of wood to their you know, nature aquarium or whatever. I mean, I sit there and read those, and I'm, I kind of laugh, and I say, well, what's the big deal? Oh yeah, I mean, I know, not everybody likes it, I tend to forget that, but but really, the reality is, uh, as you probably surmise, is that wood will continue to leach tannins to a certain extent pretty much for as long as it's submerged. As a lover of the tint, I see this as a great advantage in helping establish and maintain that sort of blackwater look, and to impart humic substances that are known to have health benefits for fishes. Now, some wood types like mangrove, a wood that unfortunately we don't have at the moment, but we will again, hopefully maybe over the summer or early fall. Uh, Mangrove, uh, like other woods, tends to release a lot more tannins over a long period of time. And now other types like spider wood will release their tannins relatively quickly in a big old burst and it'll turn the water very orangish brown, really pretty. Um, Some like manzanita seem to be really dirty and release a lot of materials over long periods of time. Now They're all going to recruit fungal growth and bacterial biofilms as an aside. And of course, the bio cover on wood is a unique functional aesthetic too, as we, you know, rant and rants about here. Now, the next product or, or material that I think is great is bark. I'm a huge fan of tree bark to impart not only color, but beneficial tannins into the water. Because of its composition and structure, bark tends to last a pretty long time when submerged and it tends to impart a lot of color to the water over the long term. And to be quite honest, almost all of the bark products that we've played with over the years seem to work equally as well. The real difference in the bark is the form factor and the appearance and the color that they impart to the water over time. Suns such as red mangrove bark, again, something we haven't had for a while, or kutch tree bark, which we do have, will impart a much deeper reddish-brown tint to the water than, say, an equal quantity of katapa bark. Um, we have a new uh, bark called Ichnocarpus, which is a, an interesting vine-like tree that produces a really cool bark, and this stuff really packs a reddish-brown color, and it doesn't take a whole lot of it. And you're going to really love this stuff, and we're going to be releasing it really, really soon. It's going to be inexpensive and versatile and, and good stuff. Ounce for ounce, gram for gram, I've always felt that various types of bark always impart the most color to the water over almost all other materials interesting. Now, if there are some specific seed pods that work, and one of my favorites is what's called sky fruit by the locals in South America. Uh, the sky fruit pod is actually an interesting little woody pod divide, you know, derived from the outer valve, the cover of the fruit of the sweetenia tree, the, the, um, also known as, as, um, boy, now I'm drawing a blank. What's that wood mahogany. There you go, Scott. See, I sometimes draw a blank. So It's mahogany, which comes from all sorts of tropical locales, although it's native to Brazil. And it's just kind of the sort of thing you would find floating or submerged in a tropical jungle stream or whatever. And they're called sky fruit because they hang from the trees and fall from the skies. It's kind of a name I fell in love with. Now, these botanicals can leach a terrific amount of tannins akin to a similar size piece of like Mopani or other driftwood. I mean, Really amazing. And this type of wood is known to be full of flavonoids, saponins, and other kinds of humic substances, which have positive health effects on fishes, or at least are thought to. Um, Like bark, it lasts a real long time and it recruits some biofilms and fungal growths for good measure. So, sky fruit pods are a great one to play with. Now we move over to leaves. Two of my favorites are live oak leaves and magnolia leaves. Now, despite their humble, you know, North American origins, These leaf types impart more color ounce per ounce than just about any of my favorite tropical leaves, and they both last for a very long time. Like, I've had specimens of live oak leaves stay intact for several months before even starting to soften. Now, it's really important to think of leaves as not just a coloring agent for your water, but as sort of a biological support mechanism or media for your burgeoning ecosystem, and that's the goal of the tank in the long run. They actively recruit fungi and biofilms and other microorganisms, which enrich the overall aquatic environment in your tank. Those are two of my favorites. And then we come to cones. Now, alder cones, uh, also the, the scientific name is Alnus glutinosa and Alnus incana, or birch cones, which is Betulia occidentalis. Those have been widely used by aquarium hobbyists in Europe for a long time, betas and Shrimp breeders are really fond of the tannins that they release into the water and their alleged antifungal and antimicrobial properties. And there's been a lot of study by hobbyists too about the pH reduction attributes of these cones, too. Uh, A study done a few years back by a Swedish hobbyist using from I think it was like one to six cones in a glass containing like ten ounces of water. Uh, He started with a pH of I think it was about eight point one, and he was able to drop to like six point seven with one cone after about two weeks and uh, 4.7 with two cones after two weeks and, and an amazing 3.8 with six cones after the same time period. The biggest part of the drop in the pH occurred in the first 12 hours after the, immersions of the, cone, uh, the immersion of the cones, which I thought was interesting. I guess that corresponds to that burst of tannins. Now, look, I'm the last guy to tell you that a bunch of cones is the perfect way to lower pH. But this and other hobby level studies seem to have effectively demonstrated their ability to drive down pH and you know, malleable, that being soft water. So interesting, there's something there. Uh, the next group of uh, materials would be the coconut based products, like cocoa curls, our Fundu tropical, and substrato pheno, those are two coconut derived materials. There, there's something about coconuts. The, the materials that are derived from the husks of coconuts, seem to produce significant amounts of tannins and impart a lot of color, visual color, to the water. Now, of course, substrato pheno and Fundotropical are smaller, finer textured materials which work primarily as, I don't know, I guess you call them substrate enhancers and not strictly as color producing agents, but that's what they do. But because there's an initial burst which subsides over time, you, you know, they're probably more for a quick spot burst of color if that's your, your goal there. Now, one of the novel applications for these finer materials is to take advantage of their color producing ability by putting them in a fine mesh filter bag and allowing water to flow around or through them, like filter media, put it in a any kind of a filter system or just dangle it in a sump or whatever. Essentially, it's a more sustainable alternative to the old peat moss trick. It kind of does the same stuff. And then you have another one of my favorite botanicals, oak twigs. Um, for an interesting look and some nice color, I'm a huge fan of oak twigs, and oak has this Nice bark, which imparts a deep brownish yellow color to the water, and it's quite distinctive. There's a reason why, you know, we have a product called 20 twigs, which is 20 oak twigs. The reason why those packs are so popular, it's not just because you get a bunch of cool looking sticks. It's because they also impart that beautiful color to the water. Oak is fantastic stuff. When you mix it with leaves and other botanical materials, not only do you get an incredible framework for a cool ecosystem, you get an incredible aesthetic as well a lot of people ask me you know again my simplest go-to to to create a botanical method aquarium would be a nice substrate maybe perhaps one of our sedimented substrates or a good sand like carob sea sunset gold and uh, oak twigs and live oak leaves that would just be a fantastic environment people would have a hard time figuring out that the live oak leaves are actually you know not a tropical leaf they look terrific once they're down And you'll get an incredible burst of color and it just be a beautiful aquarium. So very simple one to go, to go with. Now, again, this list I just gave you is an absolutely cursory one. I could have easily listed 10 or more or like 100 items. And no doubt some of you hardcore people are like screaming at your screens or your phones right now going, what the fuck film? And you didn't include whatever. And of course, that's the beauty of natural materials. There's like numerous options. Now, another note on the colors to expect from various botanical materials, as you might suspect, many of the lighter colored ones will impart a correspondingly lighter tint to the water. And some leaves, such as guava or loquat, also impart a more yellowish or golden color to the water, which is very pretty, as opposed to the brownish cover, color with which you know, jackfruit and katapa are known for. So you actually have different shades of color. And a lot of you ask about things that impact how long the water retains its tint. Well, that kind of stuff's a big deal for us. I get it. Now, many hobbyists who have perhaps added some, you know, catapa leaves or black water extracts or even rooibos tea to their water contact me and they ask me stuff like, why the water doesn't stay tinted for more than a few days? Now, again, I'm flattered to be this sort of clearinghouse for, you know, questions on botanical materials, but I must admit I don't have all the answers all the time. So why doesn't my water stay tinted, Scott? Well, I admit I don't know. Well, not for certain anyways. I do, however, have some information, some observations, and a bunch of ideas about this, any of which might be literally shot to pieces by somebody with the proper scientific background. However, I can toss some of these seemingly uncoordinated facts out there to give our community some stuff to chew on as I offer my ideas up. Now, perhaps it starts with the way we administer the color-producing tenants to our aquariums. Like, I personally think that utilizing leaves, bark, and seed pods is perhaps the best way to do this, I'm sure you're hardly surprised, right? Well, it's not just because I sell this stuff for a living. It's because they are releasing tannins, humic substances, and all kinds of compounds into the water full-time once they're submerged during their presence in the aquarium as they break down. It's a sort of onboard producer of these materials with their own, you know, half-life or whatever. You know, they last as long as they last, for want of a better term. And they also perform an ecological role providing locations for numerous life forms like fungal growths and so forth and surface area upon which you know to colonize they become a part of the ecosystem itself a few squirts of black water extracts won't do that right they just won't this continuous release of tint producing compounds from botanical materials keeps things more or less constant and if you're of the school which leaves your botanicals in your aquarium to completely break down like i do you're certainly getting maximum value out of them aren't you And if you're continuously adding or replacing them with new ones as they completely or partially break down, you're actively replenishing and adding additional tint-producing capabilities to your system too, right? Yeah. So there's another way to keep the tint going in your tank, and it's pretty easy. Now, those of you who know me and read my ramblings or listen to the tint here regularly know that I absolutely hate shortcuts and hacks in the aquarium hobby. I just hate them. But I preach a long, patient game, and that sometimes is a little bit tedious and boring for some people. However, that's not to say that I don't have the occasional little hack and you know, they don't make you a complete loser by doing, <laughs> doing them <laughs> when you prepare your water for water exchanges. Typically it's down to a few days. It's done a few days uh, or a week or so in advance. I hope, I mean, you have water sitting around, uh, that you've produced either R O D I water or water you've purchased from the fish store or whatever. Um, So why not use this time to your advantage and sort of pre-tint the water by steeping some leaves in it? So not only will it keep the aesthetics of your aquarium water, can you believe I'm talking about the aesthetics of water? Um, Not only will it keep that consistent, i.e. tinted, it'll also already have a little suite of humic substances and tannins dissolved into it, helping you keep a more stable system. Now, obviously you'd still check your pH and your other parameters, but the addition of leaves to your replacement water is a great little hack. God, I hate that word. It's a great little hack that you should take advantage of. And shit, I just recommended a hack to you. It's so weird, so uncomfortable, but hey, that's that's a hack, right? It's a really good way to get the look and some of the benefits of you know black water, for want of a better word, for your system from the outset, especially for those of you heathens who like the color, but don't want to have decomposing leaves and stuff in your aquariums. I get you. So if you're just setting up a brand new aquarium and you have some water set aside for the tank, why not use that time while it's aging to pre-tint it a bit so you can have a nice dark look from day one. It's also great if you're setting up a tank for an aquascaping contest or the same day club event that would make it advantageous to have a tinted tank immediately and you don't want to be a total loser by using one of those black water extracts. I must confess though that yet another one of the common questions we receive here from hobbyists is how can I get the tint in my tank more quickly? And this is definitely one way. Now, how many botanicals can you use to accomplish this? Well, that's the million-dollar question. Who knows? It all gets back to the, in my opinion, the absurd recommendations that have been proffered by you know vendors over the years recommending X number of leaves, for example, per gallon or whatever. Now, there's simply far, far too many variables ranging from the starting water chem to the pH to the alkalinity and dozens of others which can uh, you know, affect the equation, uh, and make the numbers unreliable at best. So we don't even try. We did this too in the early days of 10 and it was really kind of stupid looking back at it saying, Oh, you start with five or six. And I think it was usually telling you to use more leaves only because they didn't want to have you do rapid water parameter changes when you add anything to the water. And so it was more to get you into a conservative mindset as, as opposed to being like, put five of these and you'll get a, a certain look. There's just no hard and fast answer to this. Every situation is different. You need to kind of go with your instinct. Go slowly. That's the best advice I can give you. Evaluate the appearance of your water, the behaviors of the fishes, the pH, you know, alkalinity. I don't know why I keep saying pH and alkalinity because alkalinity is part of pH, but the pH, the uh, carbonate hardness, the TDS or whatever, um, whatever parameters that you like to test for. And because that's, that's at least going to give you some kind of a track to run on, you know, um, it's really a matter of experimentation. I'm a much bigger fan of tinting the water based on the materials in the aquarium, letting nature sort of have at it. The botanicals will release their contents at a pace dictated by their environment. And when they're in situ like this, you have a sort of onboard continuous release of tannins and, you know, humic substances that uh, based upon the decomposition rate of the material will be released in sort of a natural fashion. So I think that that's a really important kind of distinction. Now, replacement of botanicals or addition of new ones, as we pointed out many times, is largely a subjective thing. And the timing, the frequency, and the extent to which materials are removed or replaced uh, is dependent upon multiple factors. Again, ranging from base water chemistry to temperature to the types of aquatic life you keep in the tank. You know, if you have plecos or scraping fishes, xylophores, or strongly grazing fishes like headstanders, they're going to degrade botanicals and leaves more quickly than a tank full of, say, kerosins or danios or whatever. Okay, now this is the part where Scott bashes the shit out of the idea of using black water extracts and rooibos tea. You know, this could get nasty, but I have to address this. And again, some of the manufacturers that make black water extracts are super scientific and know what they're doing, and they have good products. And uh, if you ask me which ones to recommend, I would tell you. Um, But if you haven't heard of it before, there's this stuff called rooibos tea, which in addition to being kind of tasty, actually, has been a favored, you know, sort of tint hack of a lot of hobbyists for years. Now, without getting into all the boring details, rooibos is a tea derived from a plant called Aspalthus linearis, and I butchered that name, but that's like what I remember pronouncing it as. It's also known as the red bush in South Africa and other parts of the world where it's harvested from. It's been used by fish people for a long time as a sort of instant black water extract. And it does have a lot going for it for these purposes, I suppose. Rooibos tea does not contain caffeine. It has low levels of tannin compared to black or green tea. So at least for drinking, you know, it's good. And like katapa leaves and other botanicals, it contains polyphenols like flavones, flavanols, But Boy, did I butcher that name. Aspal... Aspalathan is what it's called. I call it aspalanthin. Jeez, don't ever listen to me for scientific compound names. It's just ugly. Anyway, now hobbyists are going to simply steep it in their aquariums and get the color they want and impart some of these substances into the tank water. I mean, it's an easy process. And of course, like any other thing you add to your aquarium, including leaves and botanicals, it's never a bad idea to know the impact of what you're adding. It's pretty harmless from everything I've seen and when I have played around with it, but like using botanicals, using rooibos tea bags in your aquarium requires some thinking, that's all. The things that I personally dislike about using tea or the black water extracts are that you're simply going for an effect without getting to embrace the functional aesthetics imparted by adding leaves, the seed pods, and all that stuff to your aquarium as part of its physical structure and its ecology, and that there's also no real way to determine how much you need to add to achieve whatever. Obviously, the same could be said of botanicals, so I'm not going to be totally hypocritical here, but we're not utilizing botanicals simply to create brown water and target specific pH parameters, at least most of us aren't. We're trying to create an ecology that's similar to what you'd see in these types of habitats in nature, and that's a distinction. Yet, with tea or other blackwater extracts, you sort of miss out on replicating a little slice of nature in your tank, the building of an ecosystem, which is why we call this the botanical method. It's not the style of aquascaping. And of course, it's fine if your goal is just to color the water, but it's more of an aesthetically focused aquarium at that point. Again, I also understand that some people, like fish breeders, who need, you know, bare-bottom tanks or whatever, like to condition water without all the leaves and twigs and all the stuff that we love so much. They want the humic substances in the tannins, but really don't need or want the actual materials in their tanks. I get it. And when it comes to tea and those commercial extracts, I don't think this stuff lasts all that long. I personally believe that the tin-producing tannins in tea... Are potentially taken up quickly by substrate materials and filter media and stuff like that. Unless you're keeping tea bags in your tank on a continuous basis, you'll always experience some color loss after some period of time. Yet yeah, it does work to impart some color and some tannins. Creating infusions or extracts is useful if you understand their purposes and their limitations. They have a place in the hobby for sure. It's why we got into the game with our own botanical-based shade products. We're currently out of stock, like so many things right now. We're out of stock and we're working with our supplier on a reformulated version. Seems as though we need to make it a little darker mix. People want darker water. So yeah, we play that little aesthetic game too, but we do it our way. On the other hand, if you're trying to replicate the look and function and maybe the parameters of say in flooded forest or an agapo, you're just not going to get it by using a tea bag. It's just another shortcut. It's not good or bad. It's just a way to get the end effect faster and without the other collateral benefits that we discussed. And look, I understand that we're all looking for the occasional shortcuts and easier ways to do things. And I realize that none of what we proffer here at Tannin is an absolute science. It's likely more of an art at this point with a little science behind it. But think about it. There's no current way available in the hobby to test for X types of or amounts of Tannins, of which there literally are hundreds, in aquariums. I mean, there are Tannin test kits, but they're used for like winemaking and stuff like that. Perhaps there is some tangential application for our purposes, but I'm not really sure what the, you know, what practical information we could extract from the results, at least not at this point in time. And personally, I have not found a study thus far, which analyzed wild habitats, say Amazonia or Borneo or whatever for tannin concentrations and specific types in the water. So we don't really have a real model to go on as far as I'm aware of. If somebody stumbles on a scientific paper that has something like that, let me know because I would love to find that. This is the kind of thing my friend Ben from Beta Botanicals will definitely go crazy of. And when he listens to this podcast, Ben, I know you're going to like call me the next day and go, dude, I found a paper. So if anybody could find it, I'm counting on you, buddy. <laughs> and in nature, a lot of the tint in blackwater environments comes from dissolved folic and humic acids from soils. Yeah, geology is the key. And it's the key, in my opinion, to a truly realistic Blackwater Aquarium. That's why I've been very picky on sourcing the materials and figuring out recipes for our nature-based sedimented substrates. They're intended to support these types of aquariums. Understanding substrates and their role in both the physical environment and the ecology of our aquariums is wildly underappreciated and the aquarium hobby right now, I believe. We'll keep coming back to this in the future, I'm certain, because it's really important. And again, keeping the water tinted is something that many botanical method aquariums are interested in. This wonderful collateral benefit of our approach is something that is easy to get addicted to. Now, all of these ideas are okay to impart some color to your water. Some do more, as we've discussed here, you know, ad nauseum. And none of them will work to full advantage if your aquarium's removing them as fast as you're imparting them into the water. So go easy on chemical filtration media like carbon. I didn't say not to use them, just don't use a ton of them use less than what the manufacturer recommends. Now, what about plants? People ask me about this a lot. Well, I have a theory about plants and tannins. Now, first off, as you know by now, you absolutely can keep plants in blackwater aquariums. We've talked about this a million times over the years. And yet, interestingly, you can't always keep blackwater conditions, or at least color-wise, in planted aquariums. So there's been a lot of geeky discussion on this topic on, you know, discussion forums and so forth. Now, tannins are interesting things. Think about this. Tannins are known to bind up heavy metals and minerals. The roots of aquatic plants prefer to take up bound up minerals and metals. So another theory of mine is that the heavily planted tanks do actually remove some of the visual tint, i.e. the tannins, from the water via uptake from their root systems. Makes sense, right? Maybe? Or maybe I'm way off, but some somewhere out there there's some plant expert that will tell me I'm crazy or wrong, or maybe I'm onto something. Okay, I can go on and on all day throwing out all sorts of weird theories and, you know, unsubstantiated ideas on this topic. But I think I gave you enough to get the party started. I really encourage you to do some homework. We need to ask these questions to people who really understand the chemistry here. I think that there might be some good answers out there. And back to the color thing to close on here. I admit visual tint is probably the single most superficial aspect of what we experience with botanical method aquariums but it's also the most obvious it's the thing that most people see right off the bat that distinguishes what we do from typical aquariums out there and it's likely has the most impact you know it's likely the most impactful to the casual hobbyist or the observer seeing one of these tanks for the first time it's just as important to understand the collateral benefits of using utilizing you know botanical materials it's a subject we've talked about millions of times here however in the end it's the look of your aquarium that's what you have to experience each and every day. And if having an understanding of which materials can bring you the aesthetic experience you're after in a more effective way, well, then this is a worthwhile discussion, isn't it? I think it is. So I'm going to leave you with that for now. And we'll probably have a lot more of these discussions in the coming months. Stay curious, stay resourceful, stay enthusiastic, stay observant, stay appreciative, stay patient and stay tinted and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from and Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of the tent.